0: Hello and welcome to Love the Agent, your new favorite podcast on all things real estate. Now introducing your host, Alexandria Bolton. Alex is the principal broker of Hippo House LLC. You can find out more at lovetheagent.com.
1: So funny thing, this morning, my contractor, Eduardo, is like, he's like, we we hit the gas line yesterday.
0: Oh.
1: <gasps> Yeah, I was like, no, um, and I'm like, what do you mean, yesterday?
0: Yeah, that
1: was my first <laughs> question. Yesterday? Excuse me. Uh, I'm like, what? So, how did we survive? And you know what? So we go look at it, and they had taped it after they hit it. Yeah, I'm like, um, this is a big no-no. So I called. Are LG we talking and like
0: me. masking tape, duct tape? It what was kind the, of cello tape.
1: It was the clear. I, I bet they used multiple types of tape, but on the top it was like clear, waterproofy tapey, you know? So industrious. Yeah. I mean, they did a good job so much so that I'm the glad fire, they're okay. Well, yeah. And the fire department came this morning and um, they were like, so you taped it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I know. That's embarrassing that they did that. <laughs> But, anyways, they were like, well, it's not leaking. So (laughs) they did a good job. So, the moral of the story is that you can call 811 and it's Mm -hmm. like 911 or 311 in your city where it's a local thing for you. And they will come out and they will mark the utilities in your yard. Even if you're like, I mean, for free, anytime you can do it, like up to Every 14 days, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever digging anything in your yard at all, you should call 811 and have them come mark it. And that's the moral of the story. Gotcha. So, yeah,
0: call 811 if you're planning to dig. I want to put in a fire pit in my backyard
1: a recessed fire pit? Or a just recessed a fi- one.
0: No, recessed with like, I want it to be a circle with one wall kind of dug into the earth a little bit more. So I, I'm going to have to call them to get them to tell me where not to dig.
1: Yeah, they just come do it for free at any point. It's a super free, easy resource, and it protects you. And then if you do hit something that they forgot to label, they pay for it.
0: You've had a busy morning.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. They were like, yeah, the firefighters are coming. The police are coming. So anyways, um and today's topic is one of my favorites and this kind of goes hand in hand with exactly you know what we're talking about which is flipping
0: let's get into it what is flipping
1: so flipping is when you take a home and you buy it at hopefully a good price and you make it better and then you sell it at a higher price in a nutshell uh now what detail or level of rehab that you want to go into uh, really depends on the person and how comfortable you are with it or your experience. Um, And you can, there's an equation that we kind of base all of our assessments off of and from there, you can kind of determine, like, okay, if I want to get this house, how much, of a re- how much of a budget do I have for rehab? And then you think, okay, can I get this done, everything I want to get done, done for that price? So once you have the golden ratio or the golden equation, if you will, then it's really easy to kind of plug in or figure out what would or wouldn't work. Sometimes it's worth it to do an addition on the house. If it's an, an area where the ARVs are really, really strong and having an extra bedroom truly brings up the value 30000 and the addition takes 15000 and also has a quicker sale associated with it, you know, there's all these things that kind of go into this equation, if you will. It's an ongoing equation that you're constantly like figuring out what you can get away with or not get away with and how far you should take it. ARV, that stands for after rehab value. I think you might have
0: mentioned that in an earlier episode, so got it.
1: Think of it as the sales price that you're going for after you fix it up. Um, Now, when I say it, when I talk about the level of rehab, I just want to be clear that I have gone into a home uh, and cleaned it simply, almost pretty much only cleaned it. Uh, it was and, pa- and did some painting. My total rehab mm-hmm. was thirty eight hundred dollars and flipped a home with that. Yeah. So do you bring
0: in professional cleaners or do you n- do it yourself? I'm the professional. Yeah, <laughs> actually, That's how I feel. I mean, I'm not a professional cleaner, but I would rather clean it myself.
1: Which if you go deep, deep, deep ham clean on a house, I mean, sometimes I have literally gotten away with that just to quote unquote flip it. That's, that's why amazing I, I know I know I mean it really is you really it and now I do that because I feel comfortable enough with my ARV or my sales price assessment you know I I know how to look at those values because I'm a realtor and I sell homes and therefore I have a good you know understanding of the market and what's selling or not selling around here mm-hmm. um, but anyone can kind of go look up the information to come up with an ARV or a sales price. The after rehab value, I'm going to just keep like saying it over and over and over so that people really get this in their head because it's such a common term for flipping ARV ARV Zill- nowadays with Zillow, first of all, don't trust the estimate. Yeah. Why? Because it's complete BS. What it is, it takes the radius and it might say a half mile radius around this home that you pick mm-hmm. out. And then it literally just does an equation based on the sales, the comparable sales over there, which you're thinking, why would that not be accurate? Right. The problem is that it takes out a very large level of human denominator. And when you are assessing a flip house, you know, like you don't want to miss something. So this just does a blanket average. But if so-and-so sold their, you know, if Nancy down the street, her she passed away and her family let the property go and it ended up going into foreclosure over a tax lien and it's worth, you know, way, way less. Mm -hmm. That could, you know, make the whole average come down a lot lower for that mathematical equation. So you might have a lower ARV or sales price assessment because you didn't go in and look at each comp. So, you know, but at the same time, if you're buying and you want to bring your price down. You also want to go look at the comps, and a, a, that is another term that is very common and used frequently. And it means mm-hmm. com- comparable sale, comps, comps, comparable. Is it? Yeah. Some people say comparable. Some people say comparable. Comparable. Anyways, don't get me started on language, like <laughs> intrinsics or whatever semantics. <laughs> Semantic. <laughs> God. i won't i won't get you started
0: on i won't get you started on semantics or intrinsics now we're doing (laughs) flipping so when you buy a house to flip you're not worrying about renters you're only buying it to fix it up to some degree and sell it yes
1: exactly so we understand how we determine our arv is that we go to comparable sales in the neighborhood but you really really need to look closely i personally i do not i go a quarter mile out radius from the point of interest and then you want to look at whatever sold in the last year it doesn't matter what's active unless you want to assess how long those days on market are taking and this is i'm going to talk like if the market's not crazy hot like it is right now because that fluctuates this is this is the baseline of reality and what you always want to check for um, so I keep it even closer. I don't go a half mile. I do a quarter mile radius around the interest uh, the point of interest. And then I look at everything that actually sold. You can look at what's on market, but you also want to make sure that you pull in anything that's expired or withdrawn. and those can show you where something might have had a problem selling like you know this one didn't have a walkout basement where every other one did and therefore you know and it ended up not selling right, whatever. There's a lot of things that I have overlooked when looking at comps that I've learned to look into, number Mm -hmm. one being the flood zone. Do not oh, forget yeah. to check the flood zone because <laughs> that affects how much cost somebody is going to, you know, people have a higher insurance rate when they go to purchase. So you're, you know, the purchase prices are almost always lower in the flood zone. So if you mm-hmm. have that one house in the neighborhood that's in the flood zone and nothing else is, and you're looking at comps that are not in the flood zone, but all, you know, are the same house, you know, that is an example of how you could over, you could oversee something. Okay. Okay. So let's go back to our equation. The equation, simply put, is your costs. If your costs on your purchase and your rehab, you want the total of those costs to be 75% or less of your ARV or sales price. Uh, Simply put, if I buy a house for $55,000 and I think I I could do the rehab for $25,000, then I would hope to sell that home for a hundred thousand or more, and if it's anything less, it's too tight and you don't want to go after it. So the basic equation, to put it in a more algebraic form, is to take the total cost divided by 0. 0.75, and that will equal your ARV or your sales price.
0: Okay. So for what you would need to sell it for.
1: Yes. So, for example, if my cost, let's say I'm buying it for 100000 and I plan that I'm going to put 60000 into it. So my total costs are 160000 If I divide that by 0.75, that will give me, you know, what the price is that I need to sell it, which would be $213,333 dollars. Now, that is like the very simple equation. And we can also back into it a different way. So let's talk about the simple version of, let's say we know what the house is going to sell for. Uh, But if you're looking at a foreclosure, for example, I want to see, okay, what do I think it's worth? What do I think it's going to sell for? And then I'm going to back into what I think I'm going to pay for it based on what I think it's going to sell for and what I think the rehab costs are going to be. And then I find X, which is what I'm willing to pay. So if we have our rehab cost and we have our sales price, we can figure out how much we are willing to pay. And if we have our price that we're willing to pay and our rehab cost, we can find out how much we know we need to sell it for. And if we have the price that we're willing to pay and the price to buy it and the price that we think it will sell at, we can figure out how much we need to keep our costs, our rehab and every other cost that I'm going to go over as well in where we need to keep those in order to keep our equation making sense the whole time. Now, what you're doing here is you're shooting for a 25% uh, margin of it profit. Hopefully now, and you want that to be at a minimum. And I would say most flippers are like happy if they make like 20% markup on their money. And usually you want it to be like, I don't want to flip a house for less than 20 grand per house. So, you know, period. But right now in a hot market, you are looking more along the ratios of like hitting that lower, you know, the minimum margin of, and this is the bare minimum. If your flip does not meet these, this equation, it is, it is more than 75% of the ARV your costs are, then don't do it. It's not worth your time. I think any flipper might agree with me on that. Who does it? It depends. You know, it's a lot of work when you go through the rehab.
0: I like to know everything that I'm getting into, or at least that I can get out of any problem. So, my question is: How does a person who's not in this industry, who's just getting started with flipping, who's maybe buying their first house to flip this year, how do they go about finding a good contractor?
1: Hang out at Lowe's. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I say that, but honestly, what I—that is a recommendation that people do for real suggest to people like do stop somebody if they look like one if you see one on the side of the street working and you like the work that they're doing stop them and be like or pull over and be like hey i'm you know i'm looking into get looking to get into this but i would say to google you know like get on craigslist is a good one um and ask around ask people if they've worked with anyone and then you know see who people Contact them, meet those guys and see if they do more than maybe what they did for that person. Oh, contractors really love it when you have your materials figured out. But if you say you're going to supply materials, for me at first, I would just get the tile, you know, and they're like, well, now you got to go get mortar and then you got to get grout and I need the backer, the backer rod, backer board. Blah, 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 spacers if you want them. Otherwise, they might do really fat spacers. So I provide the spacers because I don't want them to do like one half, you know, half inch space. That drives me nuts. But anyways, um, so if you can approach a contractor and tell them, you know, I'm going to be easy to I want to work with you and I want you to work with me. But you really, I don't know, you just kind of got to find the right one that's willing to do that for you in a lot of ways. But I think that a lot of them are as long as they know that you're going to be a team player and not be overbearing.
0: You know, if you do get on with a contractor and things just start going south, don't fall into the sunk cost fallacy, which is you've already put so much money into the project thus far, you should just stay the course. Don't do that because you can end up losing more money in the long run. Like, Don't be afraid to let go of a contractor and start with somebody new.
1: Correct. And I will say this. It does cost money to change a contractor. So don't do it lightly if you're in the middle of a job.
0: When would be that tipping point for you?
1: Um, Well, here's the thing. In order to never over leverage yourself and avoid the tipping point altogether is to pay them as work is completed. I will Mm. pay for materials up front. I will pay the materials directly. A lot of times, you know, I'll be like, go to Lowe's, gather it all, and I'll meet you there and I'll pay for it or I'll pay for it over the phone. Um, so and then I, you know, pay them half when half of the work is done and I pay them the other half when the other half of the work is done. The biggest mistake you can make with the contractor is to pay them too much before the job is done, period. And I did a job for my girlfriend recently and she's like, oh, here, let me pay you half. And I'm like, no. And she's like, but I trust you. And I'm like, but I don't care. This is how you need to treat contractors. I don't care who they are. Like, you know, they should have enough going on. And now, you know, again, I'll pay for the materials. And if you need to be paid later today after half of the work is done, I will pay you cash later today after half the work is done. But I am not paying you cash and not having you show up and me be over leveraged. That's how you over leverage yourself. What about
0: people who say, oh, well, I need 20% to start or I need... 50% to start what do you say
1: I would say no why do you need that (laughs) a b I would say I would like to pay the materials and I will you know if I can go I can meet you at Lowe's I can pay over the phone Mm -hmm. I will pay you know so I just kind of don't let them say that um I break that down I'm like well but wait a minute so why do we need this and how can we avoid needing that because again I'm not comfortable with that period right
0: so draw a line
1: yeah yes Yes, you and that's where it's like you can say I don't know anything about electrical. I don't. I I still don't know shit about electrical. But I'm like I have paid $30,000 for a job before. That was somebody taking advantage of me. That job should have been like 8 to 12,000. I found out later. Yeah.
0: My mouth is a
1: yeah, uh, because so it was like roughening a house, and it was a three-story house, and it, you know, it's like that is a lot of work. But at the same time, all of the walls were exposed. Like it shouldn't, you know, the, it shouldn't it sh-
0: have cost that much. No,
1: and so I ended up paying uh, thirty thousand dollars, like, and I think I think it was like forty towards electrical in total because I had paid ten up front to somebody. You know, they're like have mismanaged the first guy. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest lesson I learned. That was one of the. I will say that I. Like my first house, my Breckenridge house, which by the way, I listed on the market and got under contract in one day for 99% within asking. I'll say that. Awesome. <laughs> yes. So that's exciting. Um, Was that recently? Yesterday. Last oh, night. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, girl.
0: What are your top fixes for a house that you're getting ready to flip?
1: Here. So with the flip, I am. It depends on the ARV and the comps around you and what those have sold for. And sometimes I have seen people do way too much on a house and not get the money out of it because the area didn't support it. And if you looked at all of the comps that they base their number off of, those comps all had, you know, laminate, the original laminate countertops and, you know, like it might have been built only 20 years ago and they're not that bad and everything is selling right at that price range. And the area might not support a zinger house that's twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more than the rest because it's updated. So that's a great example. Let's talk about a house that, We think we can buy for 125, we think we can put 25 into it so our cost would be 150 and we think we can sell it for 200,000. But let's say that our ARV, the homes that we looked at for our ARV are all original homes from the neighborhood and for our home, like looks wise, but for our home, we're going to go ahead and replace the roof because it's 20 years old, mm-hmm. and we're going to repaint the whole thing and do the carpet and do a deck outside. And that's our twenty-five thousand dollar budget. It does not include the kitchen or the bathrooms. And just for dumb easy math, ten grand for a kitchen at a minimum. That was before prices went higher. Six grand. I mean, I'm sorry, five grand for a bathroom. So we don't, so we're already at our $25,000 budget to reach that $200,000 ARV. And we're thinking to ourselves, should we go ahead and redo the kitchen? Should we put granite in and redo the countertops so that it flies off the shelves? And the, and if we do that, our ARV will be two ten. dollars So let's say our ARV is going to be two ten dollars if we redo the kitchen. And we think the kitchen is going to cost us ten dollars That would not be worth it. You,
0: you really do have to price out the projects to know if it you're gonna get a return on it
1: yes and well and to determine how much you should do or not do and that can be based off of your ARV and the comps that's you know that that make up that ARV number or that sales price number that you are coming up with you so know,
0: top three projects assuming the math adds up what are my projects. favorite things
1: to do yeah replace the roof because I get a good price on roofing. Uh, and that's one of. It looks great from the outside, which is like instant curb appeal, and and I like my price for roofing more than I would have to pay if I did a roofing company. So that's one that I usually do. The granite. You say is, you get a
0: good price. What do you mean you get a good price? You know a guy.
1: Yeah, I got a guy. I got a She's guy. She's got a guy. I got a guy who's got a guy. Um, I pay labor only $65 a square and a square is like a four by eight piece of plywood. And when you're assessing a roof, you look at it by the square. So roof
0: number one, number two.
1: Granite again, don't be stupid. (laughs) It pops so hard. Um, and then the cleaning, 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 Mm. cleaning, cleaning and baseboards, cleaning, baseboards, baseboards, cleaning, baseboards. (laughs)
0: replace the baseboards or just clean them
1: paint them usually paint them yeah and and leave them if they're fine but if they're like coming off i'm just like baseboards are a focal point and so is the cleaning Mm -hmm. and people don't understand how much cleaning you know they're like oh i cleaned i'm like no when you when it comes to your house what you want to do is you want to go into every room and every closet and you want to literally vacuum and clean every corner Because it will look so much cleaner. Clean up your core. You know, clean, clean, clean. The best thing you can do is clean it. Mm -hmm. Some things that people forget about when it comes to flipping and when they're looking at that equation are the holding costs. Uh, Holding costs are what sounds like what it is, what it costs you to hold the property. That Mm -hmm. can include utilities, insurance, lawn care, snow removal in winter, uh, bugs, HOA fees, things like that. So um, don't forget those. They add up quickly. You know, it can be like two or 300 bucks a month that you're just not thinking about. And, you know, if you have a project for nine months, that's $1,800. And another thing that we haven't gone over that people also forget about are the sale costs, the agent's fees. If there are some, if you're an agent, you can save on fees. That's actually why I became an agent is because I'm like, oh, here's a spot where I can reduce my cost by not paying 6%. I can pay a total of 3% to the other side. So it, it varies where you are, but it adds up. That's a big expense. Sometimes realtors make more than the flippers on a transaction when they haven't, you know, when it doesn't come out right, they're guaranteed their commissions. You're not guaranteed your profit of those fees. There's the commissions to the agents, the title company fees, you can call any a title, local title company and be like, hey, what are your seller side fees typically? Usually it's like a recording fee for the release of the mortgage and all this other stuff. Stat- and tax prorations is another thing. And the tax prorations, again, can add up. You know, they can be like a $5,000 proration on a $200,000 house is very realistic. And you will either be credited or debited the amount of your proration for the taxes. So that could be, you know, a $3,000 swing on the sales. You know, like, so you sold it for 200. Now you've got 12,000 out for commissions to an agent. Plus the title company gets, let's say it's $1,000. And like, that's a lot, let's say 500. But then you also have uh, 3,500 in Tax prorations. So now you've, you're at sixteen thousand dollars in costs from two hundred thousand, which equals one hundred and eighty-four thousand, and your cost is one fifty. So you actually made thirty-five instead of fifty thousand. You see how how quickly it goes? Like how mm-hmm. quickly those other things add up, where it makes the whole thing be a big waste of your time if you only make like twenty thousand dollars on a two hundred thousand right. dollar house. Um, And usually when you're flipping, if, you know, if the project doesn't take too long, then usually it can kind of balance out where, you know, you're, you prorate it on the buy and the sell so that you're only paying taxes for the short portion that you have it, hopefully. So if it's like a three month project, it could, it could not be that bad. But if you goof off or something happens and it ends up being nine to 12 months, you know, then it goes from being you know, maybe 900 to $1,500 to maybe the full $5,000. And that, you know, again, is a big chunk of your profit.
0: I'm really excited to hear your conversation today. Tell us a little bit about him.
1: Alex Parker is a Louisville flipper who has been doing this. I thought I had done a lot of homes. I've done about 50 in the last five years, and he's done, I think, 300 homes now. Um, in the last, like, six years or five years. So I'm excited for people to hear from him. He's a perfect and great example of somebody who's also, you know, he's 31, I think, and is killing Mm -hmm. it in the flipping game and has been for five years. And, you know, he was like 24 or so, or I think 24, 25 when he got started. So you can do it too. Anyone can do it. You can get started at any point. And if you love it, you can make it a full-time career.
0: That is awesome. So without further ado, here's Alex
1: and Alex. So, what were you doing before you decided to start flipping houses?
2: I graduated college, and right out of school, I actually worked on Wall Street for a little bit. Uh, I was doing commodity futures. Uh, it felt honestly a lot like gambling, uh, but I loved it. It was a great experience, and definitely learned a lot. And it was a good, good growing experience. But, but basically, to, to transition to how I got into the flipping was my parents had do commercial warehousing and lost one of their biggest tenants. And I moved back temporarily to figure out what to do with that space and come up with a plan to help them get it leased out. And while I was back, I was looking at possibly going to law school, didn't know exactly what direction I wanted to take my life. And in college, actually, I'd been president of the entrepreneurship club for Two years had brought in in a lot of entrepreneurs. Got to talk with them. Both my parents were entrepreneurs, and I knew in my heart I wanted to start a business. And actually, ended up, uh, you know, flipping my first house. Probably did way too good on it. Been doing it ever since.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's like uh, the alchemist, though. When they say, like, when you're headed in your right direction in life, then shit's gonna go well for you immediately out the gates to point you in that direction and keep you focused in that direction. So I feel like it was a just fate for your life.
2: And to be honest with you, like, I love the idea of, you know, fixing up the house to make it into a home and improving the communities and helping people out. But also I think, you know, probably at my core, I was interested in entrepreneurship and starting a business and I saw house flipping with a big enough of a margin to where I could go in and make a lot of mistakes and hopefully not lose my butt. Right. <laughs> starting out, yeah. And uh, it, you know, fit the business model, and you know, with with the margins and stuff, I saw how it could be scalable uh, to, to build something pretty cool out of.
1: Um, how many homes have you
2: done? Uh, over three hundred at this point.
1: That's amazing. So, in order to achieve that, how many homes? have going in your pipeline
2: uh, right now i would say we typically have around 20 to 30 homes that are in the pipeline <laughs> yeah that were at some point either you know rehabbing or on the market or pending uh, for, for the sale so when i first started I would have this big issue to where you know we'd be rehabbing a whole bunch of homes and all of a sudden we're selling a bunch of homes and all of a sudden we're trying to buy a bunch of homes and it was almost like you know we were focusing on different parts of the business that were putting us and lag in other parts. And what's great though is like once you have a chance to build out a team, you're not trying to you know do everything yourself. You can get it stabilized out a lot more to where you know what w- ideally we have it all you know in 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 pretty equal parts. Obviously rehabbing a home is going to be the longest portion uh, of it. Typically you know uh, two and a half to three and a half months for for a typical rehab. And then once we go to sell it. We're usually come the market for like about a week. The 20 to 30 properties, they're ones that we currently own. So um, under contract, it doesn't kind of go into that equation, but I would say typically there's about uh, two thirds that we're working on and one third that's in the sales process. Our team, we have uh, inside sales or acquisitions, a person that kind of takes incoming leads and kind of builds relationships, an acquisition manager who goes on appointments and Uh, tries to purchase the homes and then we have two acquisition or two project managers. And then we have an office manager, an office assistant, a maintenance person that kind of helps out with our flips where we need and with our rentals. And then we have about 20 to 30 independent contractors that we try to keep busy year round. And so pretty big team. You don't want to try to, you know, be cheap on on pay. You want to compensate well for someone who's extremely qualified and is going to do a good job. And you want to make sure that they're uh, really uh, happy. And because the cost of having someone good quit, especially after all the training that goes into a position like that, is it, it's it's big. It's a very big loss. And after you know going through that and kind of learning through managing uh mistakes and successes over time. I found that, you know, having a good compensation plan for them works well. But to get specific with that, a lot of people will try to hire on a hundred percent commission. What we did was a little bit different in order to bring in the talent. And what we would do is actually pay a base salary. Um and they would have a certain amount of months to where their commission needs to then exceed their base salary. And then on a quarterly basis, we'll take the profit of like their flip sold, basically. And we subtract that, their percentage from the, their salary and give that as a bonus. So it basically is on a commission basis, but we even out the ups and downs of that with, with, with a uh, salary over time.
1: What are some of the, like, what are the top criteria you look at when you're coming up with a budget amount or scope of work or rehab amount on a property
2: yeah the, the age of the home can't can be important right so we get a lot of these like early 1900 type homes and you know you'll do the sheet on it and you're just like i know this thing's gonna cost more i mean what's what's interesting though is like once you've been in the business like long enough like i can walk up to almost any house and look at it and be like oh it looks like that's gonna cost about forty two thousand, and typically i'm gonna be Put the bar. Oh, plus minus like five thousand dollars. If that, like that, yeah, like almost every single time. Um, and so you definitely get like a feeling for for what it is, but but really getting out there and and finding good contractors is is so important and figuring out what that cost is gonna be, um, and then using that for for your analysis, right? So if you're like brand new into doing it, you need to get contractors out there looking at it to give you several bids. Don't just get one bid and don't just qualify the lowest bid, you know, for it and, and measure everything. Right. So if you're going to measure, you know, we, we measure what the acquisition manager is, you know, their budget is, and then what, you know, the project actually came out at. And if there's a difference, we look back and we say, Hey, why, why was that different? Is that something that could have been prevented Um, you know, for the future ones. And so measure everything and learn from those results and just, you know, you improve with each one. What do you think is the most important aspect of flipping? Where I see the people make the most like mistakes or the most important parts is you 100% make your money when you buy. I mean, you can definitely uh, mess up project management and turn a project upside down if if it's not managed correctly. I guess my point to that though is if you buy wrong, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to fix your way out of it. Like a lot of times there's nothing you can do to then like, Oh, I'm going to fix it up a certain way to, to get out of it. So you got to know your numbers when you buy. And what I see a lot of is new investors going out, trying to get a deal and they'll put, you know, three or four offers down and it's like, they're not getting what they they want, what they were taught. And then all of a sudden they start lowering their margins and just trying to get a deal under contract just to make, you know, get something to, to make it work. Yeah. And what you want to do is make sure you hold to your numbers because you can get upside down quickly, especially if it's one of your first projects.
1: Uh, what was some of the major struggles that you
2: encountered? I hated project managing. Like I absolutely hate it. Like I liked doing the design work. I was good at it. And I mean, it wasn't my favorite part, but I I feel like I was good at it. And I was good at negotiating with the contractors and everything. And then the work would start. Babysitting definitely like comes to mind, right? Like you'll think I explained something so clearly. I have written on a scope of work. I, you know, did everything I could to prepare for this. And then you show up there and like the contractor did like the absolute opposite of what you said, or they're like, Oh, I'm ready for my draw. And it's like, you know, halfway done. And I would get really frustrated and it is a, uh, it can be a tough job to, to do, especially if you don't have like the right contractors and in, in place. Um, I think early on, one of the things I did was try to negotiate so hard with the contractors. I would end up getting a really good price, but they weren't necessarily the best contractors. Yeah, right
1: contractors by the time
2: you figured it out yeah like you thought you were i thought i was saving money but i was in ending up paying it somewhere else within like holding costs or you know having to pay someone else to come back and and redo some of the work they they did so project management and then also just finding deals and like your hardest deal that you'll ever find is definitely your first deal and then um it'll get easier after that but you know still um you know, you definitely kind of go in like uh, uh, peaks and valleys and you just have to have confidence in your, your systems and stuff to to keep to keep going through and, and getting what you need. What makes
1: someone a good flipper? What does that look like?
2: A good flipper, I guess you could look at it as like, you know, results they get. Obviously, so someone, you know, who who is is getting the results that they want is a good, a good flipper is going to be, or someone that's going to succeed in the business. Let's talk about that. So like someone that's going to be successful in it, right. Is going to be someone with a lot of grit and determination. And that's probably the most important thing that you need. Cause definitely coming into it, there's going to be a lot to learn. Um, there's going to be a lot of things to figure out and you want to, you have to stick in there. Right. And, and when things don't go your way, which is going to happen a lot, <laughs> You have to, you know, figure out, hey, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to, you know, stick stick with this and and, and keep on going and, until you do? And then I would say other qualities include being in the mindset of, you know, always growing and always learning as a person. Like I can't stand people like they come in like, right? So I have flipped over 300 plus homes and I'm still always learning on everything that we do and never be stuck saying, oh, hey, I know the best way to do this always be open to learning new things because especially in this business, you're going to have to always be adapting your marketing um, and and the way that you do things in order to stay competitive because there is a lot of competition out there.
1: No doubt.
2: And, And just one more point on that, I think that's really important is understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are and in the business going in and especially in the beginning, focusing on your strengths and then and then finding team members to bring in as soon as you can for your weaknesses. So I was really good at sales um, or acquisitions, not so much, you know, organized and, and and uh, you know, uh, routine tasks and stuff like that, you know, difficult for me to do. I have ADD and so I, I needed to bring in. You know, I focused on the sales and brought in an office manager. I hated doing the project manager and management. So then I brought in a project management. And then the last role I replaced was then me and the acquisitions manager. But if you were someone who didn't have really good sales skills or, you know, wouldn't be good at the acquisitions position, it's important that you, as soon as you can, bring someone in that's going to be good at that while you focus on what you're good at. I remember meeting someone that had spent like $100,000 or something crazy like that on like education and had not done a deal. I was just thinking, oh my goodness! And uh, like, honestly, like, you know, you want to learn so much. Go out there and do it. And doing it, you are going to learn, you know, a ton uh, by by just 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 doing it. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, if the lady that spent like a hundred grand. It's like if you really messed up a deal and you like you maybe lose ten grand. But no, I am a big believer in, in in investing in yourself, and I think those can be extremely helpful. And the one I did was extremely helpful, and I am glad I did it. Most of the people that go into it you know, pay crazy money and never even like, I don't think do one deal or flip a house, which is like crazy for me to think about. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. before you sink in a bunch of money, definitely go out there and, and get something under your belt. And then once you know, Hey, this is what I want to do, then, you know, keep, keep getting the education for sure. You know, when you're growing a business, you're saving everything. And like, I actually,
1: ideally,
2: I, yeah, I live with my parents <laughs> until I was like 26 or seven.
1: I know, I used to make fun of him for that.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like you're paying, like you're paying all these employees and everything like that. And, you know, it, it gets nerve wracking. Um, you know, you're like, oh, if one thing goes wrong, I'm going to have to move into one of these houses when and sell. And so I'm just trying to save everything I can. And then, I mean, definitely, you know, these days it's like we have a successful business model. We're doing well um, and, and growing. And, you know, a lot of people get into entrepreneurship for freedom. And I definitely feel like I have a lot of that freedom in my life now, which I absolutely like love. And so it's like, if I don't want to go into work, you know, tomorrow, I don't need to. And I know everything's going to run just as good. The freedom in in my life, I feel like so many people that want to get into this, it's for that, you know, the money and stuff. And they try to go and buy that nice car or, you know, do what they want and just, you know, and try to spend the money before they have it. And definitely a lot of people talk about passive income. I've definitely built up you know, my rental portfolio and stuff like that. And I'm buying, you know, appreciating assets that are cash flowing positively. Those cash flowing assets then pay for, you know, your your fun toys and stuff that you want to do. And and definitely, you know, you want to have fun. You want to enjoy life. And that's Alex what it's Parker all about. Is the funniest um, person But it's, it's definitely, met. I think, about finding do you guys have any balance. I think I've been good at seriously finding if you want that balance. To look in, at in a my deal, load,
1: I can sure. definitely like take a look at your deal and let you know what my initial thoughts are. If you're in the middle of a project and you're stuck on it you know please give me a call
0: call us leave us a voicemail if you have questions 502-444-love we want to help we want to help but we also would love it if you would subscribe to this show it helps people be able to find us um please leave a review uh, glowing if possible and uh rate the show that would just be so awesome and we appreciate all of your support it helps us get this show to you and make future episodes possible
1: and you guys, we really like it when you send us direct messages on social media as well. So please, please yes. do not hesitate to send us your front door and ask for what color we think you should paint it. Oh, yeah. At Love the Agent on Instagram and
0: www.lovetheagent.com. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>